This episode comes with a trigger warning. Several very heavy topics will be discussed in today's episode. So if you are feeling triggered while listening, please feel free to turn it off and listen at a different time. Hello, therapists, non-therapists, and everyone in between. My name is Ian Hammonds, and I am not Barbara Walters, and this is Therapy on Tap. I'm here having a drink with fellow Austin, Texas therapists, Patrick Harris and Hayden Lindsay. This is the most authentic way we know how to talk about therapy in a relaxed, non-judgmental environment. Pint by pint, champagne cork by champagne cork. We are obviously deprived of a pub given the current pandemic. This is not a promotion of drinking, but instead humanizing the field the best way that three, actually four today, humans can share a space. So today, um, to introduce our topic, as y'all might have gathered by the introductory trigger warning, uh, today our topic is about suicide. It's confronting suicide, every aspect of it, all the things that we could find. But um, first, before we introduce our amazing guest, let's do a quick check-in. How's everyone doing today? Talk amongst yourselves. Um, I'll go. I'm doing yes. good. I'm doing good. It's Friday, so excited for the weekend. This and... is Hayden speaking. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> our viewers, are, our listeners are still getting to know us so yeah, <laughs> and our, our voices. So We had a feminism on tap episode, and uh-huh. Hayden took the opportunity to mansplain every topic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Everything>. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sure that was a trip. <laughs> There's a lot of clapping. And a lot of lot of edits needed to be done that day. Go go ahead. (laughs) No, I'm good. It's Friday. MLK Day is on Monday, so Mm -hmm. you know, long weekend. I'm excited for that. Um, Been a long week, so kind of overwhelmed from all that I have going on. But I'm doing good. Doing good. Glad to have you here, gentlemen. This is actually Hayden. You know, I, I'm here today, I think, with a, a full heart. I, I was on the, the drive over here, and I was thinking about that thing that um, parents say. I'm not a parent, but I've uh, played one in a residential treatment center before. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, when when a baby is born, you'll you'll hear parents say, oh, my God, I uh, my heart is so full, I can't love this thing more. That uh, just I I love this thing so much, and there's no possible way that I can love anything more. And then you have a second baby, and you go, "I'm going somewhere with this." <laughs> uh, you go, "Oh my god, I love both of these things so fully and completely, and my heart has expanded." And that's how I feel with my clients this week. Uh, I've just been kind of taking on more and more people. And, and every time I think I'm full, I, I, I do a consult and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And, and, and I didn't think that I had room or bandwidth, but I just feel such a connection and, uh, and let's do it. So I've had a, a busy week holding, uh, holding space for, um, you know, a lot of pain, but, um, just feeling, feel, feeling that fullness this week. So I think overall I'm doing pretty well. Nice. Wow, that was the weirdest version of the aristocrats joke I've ever heard. <laughs> 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 I know that joke. What? Are you serious? I don't, I don't, 
That's like the perfect Hayden joke. Lay, lay it on me. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some YouTube videos later. It's a. This is the suicide episode, so <laughs> just roll out the jokes. Come on. Anyways, my day. Uh, I don't know. I, I went to sleep last night, excited about today, and then I just woke up with just like that weird anxiety where you're not like anxious about anything in particular, but you just have like that gross feeling all day. And I was been trying to shake it all day, and it's just kind of stuck around. But this was something that I was looking forward to, so you get to hang out and drink with my friends and and talk about sad things. So that'll. that'll <laughs> Really turned my day around. I'm drinking some dark beer, by the way. Ooh, for oh, the that, dark topic. Before we check in with our MC, I thought maybe I'd, I'd we'd go around and t- tell me what you're drinking. I'm working on a. Uh, it's five in the afternoon, but working on a breakfast stout from the fine folks at Founders. Patrick, I'm gonna need you over here. <laughs> the folks at Founders are not. <laughs> he throws his dog. <laughs> The folks at Founders are not sponsors yet. yet. I tried to harmonize it didn't work. <laughs> One more time. You did you did the third, <clears throat> I need the fifth. They're not sponsors yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> we need to rehearse that. We do. We are no Destiny's child. <laughs> Sorry, our hometown heroes. That was a good reference. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I am drinking lovely H2O in honor of stupid dry January. Um, <laughs> shit's getting a little old and it's only two weeks in. Um, out it's been of a hell of a year so far. It really has. <laughs> I've my two week trial. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I do not wish to be a subscriber <laughs> for 2021. Um, I'm, I don't, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm actually, I'm not okay. <laughs> My chemical romance. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I'm feeling a little raw today. I'm not going to lie. Vulnerability moment. Um, I won't go into too much detail about it, but um, my partner and I had a very aversive experience last night with a very um, narcissistic person that lives in our building. Um, and it was the most uncomfortable thing I've been through in a long time. He's always given me that very kind of narcissistic vibe when I'm around him. Um, but Your last, partner? No. The, <laughs> the dude that... He is a Gemini. <laughs> yeah, he is. A, my partner is a Gemini. Um, but no, like I, it, something just really kind of rattled my soul last night and mm. I'm still kind of reeling from it. Didn't sleep well at all. Uh, I did actually something good, like a silver lining actually came out of it. Um, I was internally screaming as it was happening. And Richard just held his own the whole time, just held it like just completely was even keel the whole time. And it just it it warmed my soul that like, even though both of us go, you know, we go through some fucked up shit sometimes, like just he could see how upset I was and he was just holding it all together. And so... Um, yeah, so still reeling from that. I'm one of those people that just needs a fucking moment sometimes. Um, and that was one of those moments where I'm just like, I need like at least a day so that it just doesn't feel like it's just, it keeps like, you know, the feedback loop just keeps playing over and over in my head, but that's where I'm at. There's something about like neighbor drama or conflict that's just like different. Like I've, you know, growing up in inner city Houston, I've made my, my peace with just, there's just a bunch of assholes in the world and I'm fine with like. (laughs) being cussed out by a stranger, but there's something about like, it's just so much more invasive when it's a neighbor or somebody that lives close that you're forced to see. No, this dude, he, I see him at our gym. He doesn't wear a mask. He doesn't social distance at at our apartment complex gym. And if that's not awful enough, he fucking sings. He sings while he works out. 
and just doesn't give a shit that there's nobody else in there. Those so, are the worst. Okay, oh, it's all what is he? Is it Nickelback? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably so. so. It's probably Child. Creed, isn't it? It's, uh, With arms wide open. So he could not outsing this Whitney Houston over here, though. However, comma. So. Narcissistic neighbor is not a sponsor. No. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know. I hope he does neighbor new band podcast, name call actually. It. <laughs> so, anyway, I digress. Well, Ellen, what are you uh, drinking? Th- 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 yeah. <laughs> what, uh, As you take a drink, tell us right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Caught me at the uh, perfect just, moment. R- real quick, empathy for you. Just st- standard stock therapist empathy for you, Ian. Blah, blah, blah. It feels good. Uh, what are you drinking? This oh, is the, oh, the important wow. question. Okay. Switching, <laughs> switching real quick there. Uh, <laughs> I'm drinking a Cabernet. Wow. It's a bar Brag. dog brand, and uh, yeah, it's pretty tasty. It gets the it gets the job done. So mm-hmm. and drinking is... straight from the bottle, I noticed that's a brave uh-huh. choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a classy, classy bitch <laughs> like that. So <laughs> she actually uh, just wine bonged it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been a really good idea. Why didn't we do that? We should have next Dang. episode. Next episode, whenever you're not doing dry January. I know. <laughs> The, the the multiple tear forms in my eye. multiple tube bong is uh, beer bong or wine bong is actually a, a very socially distant and response provided you get the the length of the hose correct can be a a, a socially distant uh, shared drinking activity. <laughs> did you learn that at Loyola? I did actually uh, beer fest uh, on uh, Bourbon I don't Street. I know that. <laughs> It's on. Well, I think it's closed now. I think it's something else. But they had the the, the octabong. It was like a sh- hanging like a chandelier, and you could buy one of those famous forty two dollar pitchers on Bourbon Street, and they'd pour it in the <laughs> in the octabong for you. Wow! Um, for for up <laughs> to that was perfect. <laughs> up See, to, we could be Destiny's child yes, right there. We could. <laughs> well, and Patrick, you have a lovely chandelier uh, or, or light fixture above us that that could be a. Uh, an octobong. An octobong. That I will be drinking from February 1st. As yeah. soon as I try January. <laughs> Catholicism is so ingrained in my brain that you said Loyola, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Hayden was a Jesuit. That's kind of cool. I went to a, a Jesuit high school and a Jesuit college and a Catholic grade school and a Methodist uh, master's program. So wow. I'm. All the I have a lot of got all, all the Protestants. All the yeah. Patrick, what are you drinking? Speaking of Catholicism, <laughs> I will say that beer was never my primary choice. I I, I kind of oscillate between whiskey and um, wine. But this podcast has introduced me to a lot of beers. I've just started grabbing the beers with the coolest looking label. So this is Vitality Light Ale, made by Fourth Tap Brewing Company here in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's not bad. Not not the best one I've had, but at least it's local. That's interesting a, taste. Well, now they'll never be sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> well, yeah. For for being therapy on tap, I seem to be the only one who consistently drinks beer. I feel mm. like the first sign of success is when we get our own kegerator and just have <laughs> it here in the uh, recording space. Mm. Well, y'all got to be so straight. <laughs> <laughs> Straight meals, Cosmos on on yes. tap. Okay, and I make a mean Cosmo, by the way. <laughs> Just letting you know, Ellen. Um, As right. evidenced by having to record re-record our first episode. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the reason why, because I made them really strong that day. I um, took a drink every time Ian mentioned Bethany Frankel, and it, it was just off to the races. <laughs> 
So that that's why I'm only allowed to say her. I'm only allowed to make a Bethany reference three times a week. So <laughs> they've limited you. Did. Oh my god! I know. It's really what painful. What kind of friends are they? I don't know. That's like, like oh, so sad. That's like across Dry the board. January, so, so like before he even steps in the door to record the podcast. And as I was stepping in the door today, I was listening to Bethany Frankel's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Moving right along. All righty. <laughs> Welcome our amazing guest, Ellen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't know that yet. Let's. I'm just kidding. Whoa. <laughs> I, oh, my gosh. Wow. I was just, I was going off of the energy that I feel so far, and it's all, all, all amazing. She's drinking wine out of an octobong. I mean, she's obviously <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. So welcome our amazing guest. Not thank you to you over there. <laughs> yeah, Hayden, as she points at Hayden. <laughs> Ellen Meister. No one knows our voices yet. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to say Okay, trying all right. To say her like, name. Ian, <laughs> Ian, will you introduce the guest for goodness sake? Yeah, Jesus Christ, Ian. She's been sitting there. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Um, welcome our amazing guest, Ellen Meistead. Hello. Said that right, right? Yes, you okay. did. It's German. It's really weird. It's beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. I don't even, you know, it was funny the other day. I, one of my, one of my coworkers at my project site asked me what my last name meant in German. And I was like, that's a weird question. I've never mm-hmm. really gotten that before. How am I supposed to know that? Think it means onion or something? I don't know. So, yeah, mm-hmm. my step. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's hop on Ask Jeeves yeah, and right. find out. <laughs> <laughs> Who is not a sponsor yet? Is my stud last name. Um, but you're a student in mental health. I um, am at Saint Ed, Saint what Saint Edwards for non-locals in Austin, Saint Edwards University, and Ed is just, short for Edward. You just started your practicum. <laughs> oh, it's, actually, you just blew right through that one. <laughs> yeah, so I just started my practicum. Um, I will graduate from the program this coming December. So December 2021, and I'm doing my practicum at Austin State Hospital. Okay. So, yes, very, cool. very exciting. Have you been to the tunnels under Austin State Hospital? I have not yet. I'm sure that is going to be one of the things that they teach me, though. Did you know that there were tunnels there? I did not until just right now. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So they used to, what? yeah. So the from, history of that place is fascinating. It's yeah. amazing. And they've filmed like several horror movies there as well. If you're local to Austin, I highly recommend it. The, the actual, I, I'm sure they've changed it because of COVID. So the middle building is the oldest one. Have mm-hmm. you been to the museum inside there? No. Have you been to that weird like 50s diner that's inside the original building? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So in the original building, they used to do What tours. are they teaching you at St. I Ed? know, right? St. <laughs> Ed's is a, is a wonderful institution. <laughs> they have uh, all of like the old archaic like uh, electroshock therapy tools. And there was a brief mm. moment in, in uh, mental health history where they combined dentistry and mental health because they thought a lot of like mental health pathology was caused by, I don't know, dental issues. So they used to just like pull teeth and... They have old lobotomy tools and stuff. So if you get a moment, oh you should go check out the main building. Oh, I but really also, want to now. All of the buildings on the camp, I don't know if every one of them, but the older ones are definitely connected by a tunnel system um, mm. just to transport people back and forth from the mental health court. I yeah, cannot believe Whoa. anyone has, like, based on our history as a field, I cannot believe there is anyone who has, a, like, a shred of trust yeah. in this field. Oh, Mental health is yeah. super dark history. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What a place to be practical yeah. to do your practicum. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. And yeah, and this was actually my number one choice okay. out of um, a few others. I interviewed out a few others as well. But um, 
You know, I was torn between doing like the inpatient hospital type setting because I'm really just drawn to that population. I'm very interested in more severe mental illnesses and Mm -hmm. because I don't have... We need more of that. Yeah, and I don't have any experience with the severe mental mentally ill. And so I was really kind of just wanting to dive deep, learn as much as I can, and then figure out where I want to go after that. Um, So I was debating between doing it here or another inpatient facility um, or a grief center because I'm also really passionate about grief work. But um, I have heard through the grapevine that if you do your practice practicum or internship at ASH, you can basically get a job anywhere afterwards. So I was like, I'll do it there. <laughs> My first job in the mental health field was with the LMHA, like a local mental health authority. So the population they served was bipolar, major depression, or schizophrenia. And mm-hmm. when I got hired, they were like, if you can work with this population, you can work anywhere. And yeah. that's true. Like if yeah. you can work with that acute setting and you and that's where you start, it's mm-hmm. only going to get easier as you go on in your career. So that's definitely a good place to start. I, yeah. I feel like every master's program should require a inpatient rotation just mm-hmm. to have that and we'll get into it in the episode too, but just to have that experience with actively suicidal clients or mm-hmm. actively, um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 oh my gosh, what's the word? Actively psychotic clients yeah. as well. Um, because it's one thing to read about what it's like to sit in front of somebody with auditory hallucinations and it's a completely different thing to um, read about it in text versus see it in person. Absolutely. Um, or even just it, seeing yeah. it like in feel video, in you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. on YouTube, you know, because like classes they'll, They'll have you watch YouTube videos of like, oh, okay, this is how you deal with somebody who's currently in psychosis. But it's like, <clears throat> you know, you don't know until you actually are in that situation. Mm-hmm. You're faced with that. Yep. It's like, whoa, you never know what they're going to say. You mm-hmm. never know what they're going to do. So yeah. my uh, undergrad uh, abnormal psych class showed a, uh, a a series of videos to kind of illustrate it. And uh, the, the one for... Uh, Bipolar mania. Did you just watch Silver Linings Playbook? <laughs> Should have. <laughs> I'm a little bit older than that, Patrick. <laughs> well, what made you choose therapy, Ellen? Oh, gosh. So I feel like there are many answers to that question. So I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I have always just been very interested in psychology. Mm-hmm. Took a psychology class in my undergrad, and I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot, um, and I kind of considered actually majoring in psychology at first, but ended up not. And ended up studying hospitality management, so totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, it requires eh, a lot of patience. I mean, yeah, you deal with <laughs> difficult people a lot of the time, so. <laughs> I definitely have experience in that. Um, You know, I worked as a server, bartender in the seals and reservations department of like fancy schmancy hotel. Um, So yeah, definitely have experience dealing with difficult people, but I've just had a passion for people in general and loving people and wanting to connect with people. And I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I'm, I love people and I get a lot of energy and happiness from dealing with people, but I also need a lot of like resting and self-care and taking alone time. So we are the same person. Yes. (laughs) So I don't understand. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anywho, really love people, yada, yada, yada. Well, um, I was about to graduate from my bachelor's. And I was doing my internship at a um, golf course, a golf club. And my mom, I, I was living in a different city at the time. I was living with my sister, who I'm super close with, and um, was just going to do my internship over the summer. Well, we're there, and my mom actually lives in the same city. Um, well, she had passed that summer, like at the very, very beginning. Um, and so after her passing brought a lot of um, – grief and I was in a really hard place for a while um and then I eventually did graduate with my bachelor's that later semester and then moved here with my sister well I after our mom had passed I started going to therapy and my sister and I started seeing a therapist together and it was helpful but it wasn't I didn't find as much benefit from it as I did from individual counseling after. Mm -hmm. So I started going to individual counseling after I moved here to Austin. So um, yeah, I just really grew to have a passion for mental health. Um, Losing my mom really changed me as a person. I became a lot more empathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so yeah, I worked in hospitality at that fancy smanchy resort for a year, did not like it. And then I was like, you know what? talked to Sarah Bell Conley and she was great and I decided to enroll in the master's program. So here I am. That is a very long story. Um, but yes, now I'm here and I'm Beautiful. about to graduate soon. <laughs> yeah. You said this you. December? Yes, this December. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Wow, that's like a month ago. Yeah. Right, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, I graduated last month. You know, I'm just doing my practicum now. <laughs> Nice. No, yeah. Well, yeah, no, you came with, like I said, great. Just Sarah spoke very highly of you. And of course, she's such a trusted, trusted person. I, I It takes me a while to warm up to people. And mm-hmm. she's one that like I've only worked around for a few months and like just already feels like that can, you know, the kindred spirit. Yeah. Um, but she did. She recommended you. Um, she's just Aww. like my, my friend Ellen would be would be good. Yeah. Date, so. Yeah. She's the best. Yeah, I love her. She is. So... Let's dive right in, y'all. Um, I, I want to um, approach this with sensitivity. Uh, I don't want to say caution, really, because mm-hmm. I, I feel mm-hmm. like if we used caution, that would be kind of like... Take ampli- away, like, authenticity. It would, yeah. Patrick so, like, finishes his whiskey. Great. <laughs> Clinked that ice so well. <laughs> um, but why did we choose this topic, y'all? I mean, that kind of goes into, like... Um, it, it goes into kind of going into this as sensitive as as we can without like censoring ourselves because um, it is it's it's suicide is definitely something that not many people feel comfortable talking about. Not many people are um, just able to talk about. I feel like it's it's almost like a taboo subject. And even when I notice clients will sit on that for a long time, they won't actually say I've had suicidal thoughts because they're too afraid that we are going to commit them, call the police. But in actuality, a lot of us a lot of us struggle through even just suicidal ideation, not necessarily intent. Um, but yeah, let's 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 normalize this conversation just like 
just like we put in the notes. Um, let's, you know, let's let's make suicide cool. <laughs> wow. Sorry. <laughs> just kidding. Let's make about talking that. about suicide <laughs> uh, acceptable. Let, yes. yeah. let, let's, let's. I knew I was going to have a foot and mouth moment today. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> but full disclosure before we dive in, I know that the planning for this episode we've been using a lot of gallows humor because it's such just like a deep mm-hmm. uh, conversation. And I've mentioned this, I think I forget which episode I talked about this, but I, I, I mentioned before that my father had passed away due to suicide. So was I the, have the men's episode. I, yeah, it was the that, men's yeah. episode. And I have recognized that gallows humor is how I approach that subject because it's still uncomfortable, but it's how I make sense of it. And it's how I just kind of mm. decompress from the, the, discomfort that I still experienced because I didn't realize I wasn't told until I was like 19 or 20. He passed away when I was five and my mom, I guess not thinking that we could comprehend what suicide was, just told my sister and I that he passed away in a car accident. Um, So that's what I grew up Mm. believing. And then she drops his bombshell at me at like 18, 19, 20 Mm. out of nowhere too. It was just like a normal day. And she was Mm. like, okay, sit down. We're going to have this talk when I was home from school. But I say that because I'm sure I'm going to make inappropriate jokes <laughs> throughout this episode, but that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think that we should normalize because I'm, I'm thinking back to my time at St. Edwards and I think in the abnormal class, we might've talked about it, but it would have, it was just like one brief conversation. You don't mm-hmm. get a lot of training. No. In and it's in the abnormal class. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, in itself is stigmatizing. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's shaming. Which, question. When did you graduate? Are you asking how old I am? No, super not at all. That's so <laughs> <wow>. controversial. <laughs> I promise. No, I'm, I'm just at curious. least 26. Okay. He's my well, on my birthday. Well, on my birthday, I'll be. So. <laughs> <laughs> am I the oldest one here? How old are you? 34. Oh, yeah. Uh, hold on. Carry the one. 30, 33 and a half. Okay. I'm 33. Now. The year of, year of our Lord. Wasn't Jesus 33? Thirty three. So is Karen Carpenter. (laughs) When I think Jesus, I think Karen Carpenter. (laughs) Yes, I graduated. (laughs) Okay, twenty seventeen, twenty sixteen. Okay, okay, yeah. So the reason that I ask is not because I'm being nosy about your age, but (laughs) it's because so now, like the classes that I have been taking, like even just like last semester. Um, what class was it? It was a da 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 da. Oh my gosh, I'm having trouble remembering. Assessment techniques. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Assessment mm-hmm. techniques and suicide was um a heavy topic that we talked about in that class, and it was pretty thoroughly brought up. And then we also talked about it, of course, in our crisis and trauma class a lot too. Oh, so it seems as though maybe they have um. Well, taken that information yeah from they weren't the CAKE accredited when i was there yeah so i was yeah. graduating the year that they were getting the accreditation and they mm-hmm. i got an email saying hey do you want to stay an extra year and get CAKE accredited and it's like fuck no mm-hmm. i'm just yeah. i'm done let me go yeah um but yeah that that's interesting i did take the trauma class when it was still relatively new but it was only an elective which is interesting mm. is the crisis and trauma a core class or was that an elective? i'm Pretty sure it's a core class. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a core class Who for LPC. teaches that class? Yeah, as it should be. I had it with Lansdale, Sunny Lansdale. Mm. She, she's the super amazing. curly. Yeah. No, I think you're talking about Ellen Melton. Yes. Okay. Lansdale yeah. is one of the bigger glasses. She. No. Had her for she has like short white hair. Yeah. 
and she usually wears like funky earrings <laughs> and oh I just I I have a girl crush on her I love her so much but um yeah she was fantastic to have for crisis and trauma she's very mm. knowledgeable about it I, I know Sunny by rep, reputation she's mm, yeah she's she has a very good reputation yes. jealous yeah jealous <laughs> um. no it's funny because um. I, I see my therapist regularly and actually right now she's on maternity leave, but um, I was telling her, I was like, yeah, I'm taking crisis and trauma this upcoming semester. And she asked me if I was taking it with Lansdale. And I was like, yeah, how do you know that? Because she went to Texas State. She didn't go to St. Edwards. She was like, oh, I've just heard wonderful things about her and like crisis and trauma and like people that take that class with her just learn so much. So, but that's, that's the truth for sure. But unfortunately, I think um, this past semester was her last semester teaching at St. Edward's. She, she talked about possibly coming back, but due to COVID, she's just exhausted, Mm -hmm. worn out. She's burnt out. So totally get that. But hopefully she comes back. We'll see. Nice. St. Ed's, we're looking for sponsorship. Yes. <laughs> Love you, St. Ed's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please give me A's on all my assignments. I will say, so I teach at Houston Tillerson University for undergrad, and it has been exhausting through COVID just because the, the quality of the work has suffered, but you're also asking a lot from people that are also dealing with a lot. So I can mm-hmm. imagine what a, a, an instructor or a professor in a master's program is experiencing just because on the bachelor's end, it's been rough trying to get students motivated and stick with it. And in the master, especially like the St. Ed's program, it's mostly evening classes. So it's mostly mm-hmm. like full-time working adults with families and mm-hmm. partners and such. So I can imagine it's been a very difficult process yeah. for them as well yeah. as the students. Like to be, <laughs> to be in a master's program right now, yeah. uh, hats off to you. Cause there's the world is on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really Absolutely. is. It's a time to be alive y'all. Yeah. What was y'all's master's program? Did y'all have a significant suicidal education? No. <laughs> we didn't. I, I think ours was mostly um, if someone says they're suicidal, you hit the secret button under the, yeah, the desk. It was not. And then it, like a real counselor will kick the door in and yeah. save you. And uh, I, I say this with you know a, a lot of respect and admiration for uh, so many of our yeah, it was a great program. It, made it, it like, made it scary to just even sit with it. It's funny that you said that because during my practicum, I had a suicidal client, and like he actually, it was a full on intent. Like he, what was a, his full name? He had a plan. <laughs> uh, not gonna go there. Um, no, but but and then I remember just like freaking out, and uh, my my uh, my practicum professor said, "Okay, this is probably not." Um, you know, in formation with our um, clinical protocol, but just do a wellness check. Call him, you know, make sure that, um, you know, he's okay. Just take the extra time out of your day. And so I had to drive all the way to my campus. It was probably like a 35-minute drive on a Saturday uh, just to use our phone or just to use because the, the clinic the ring, ring central or whatever the was not a thing not back a, then. Thing. So oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. We had to go up to the, so, and I had called to make sure he was okay. He was, he was fine. Um, but yeah, I just talk about being thrown in, mm-hmm. um, yeah. with no and, and, I'm, and I'm really glad that they, you know, impressed upon us that it's serious, but, but that what, what I, as a, an impressionable, baby therapist took in was like we should fear this mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just like ah you know so and it's so normal 
It, it's it it's so normal. Yeah. That story reminded me of this horror story. So when I was working in Houston, I had uh, an actively suicidal client call me, and we had um, I was working for Harris County at the time, so they issued us these BlackBerry phones, but the service was horrible. And I remember he called me and was just actively suicidal, saying like how he's going to kill himself and what's going on. And I'm I'm texting a coworker on like my personal phone to call nine one one and have a mental health officers sent out there. And I'm trying to like get to their location because I had an appointment with him like coming up anyway. And the the call keeps dropping, and I'm on the phone with them. And like every time the mm. phone dropped the call, like my heart sank, and I was like, oh my god, he's gonna think oh, I don't no. care, or he's gonna think this is yeah. unimportant. And it was like trying to navigate Houston traffic while trying to get there and coordinate oh, like crisis services was. <laughs> I think I'd only been on the job for like a month too. Uh, and I am fresh out of out of school, and it was. What was his first name? Me. First and last name. <laughs> <laughs> Blackberry, not a sponsor. <laughs> God no. Denied. Well, to normalize suicide from 1999 to 2018, suicide rates increased by an alarming 35 percent. So, suicide was the tenth leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 48,000 people. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34 and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals 35 and 54. Um, So there are more than two and a half times as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides. Damn. So interesting. Wow. Homicides. Step your game up. (laughs) The homo and homicide. (laughs) So uh, Netflix came out with a documentary recently called The Social Dilemma. Have y'all watched it yet? Yes. Yes. I highly recommend it. It's really good. And in there, they talked about... I was going over this with y'all in the show notes, but um, they were it was more from the perspective of the influence that social media has had on preteens, but mm-hmm. preteen females specifically self-harm has gone up since 2011 till now, 189% and suicide specifically has gone up in preteen females, 151%. Mm-hmm. And that's all from just that social referencing that goes mm-hmm. on with, with social media. And we're seeing that a lot now too, in our current climate because of everything that's going on. I, I put, I wrote this like long heartfelt, just venting post recently um, from a social psychological perspective, we need a sphere of influence to kind of judge ourselves based on like our actions and how we dress and our beliefs and stuff. So typically, historically, it's just been a very small sphere that we bounce our ideas back on. Our mm. brains haven't really caught up with technology to have access to hundreds and thousands of references. So when you post something on social media, you're going to get like 100 likes and you're going to get 100 like people shit talking and you're going to get 100 people that are kind of indifferent. And our brains just can't comprehend that. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing this a lot with uh, preteens and teenagers. And it's it's devastating. It it should be the next mental health crisis that's discussed, but we haven't really discussed it because there's so many people lobbying on the side of free speech and social media and all this other shit. Uh, We saw that when 13 Reasons Why first came out on Netflix as well. Suicide rates for teenagers rose 28.9% in that year alone. I was when, still in grad school. When yep. that uh, show came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's alarming. <laughs> it really is. I, I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in, in The Tipping Point. Um, I, I, I don't have anything else to add. Other, I, I just wanted to mention that I read Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> I feel like that's a... For some reason, I thought Norman smart. Rockwell, and it's like, why are you bringing up the artist? So. Apparently, Malcolm, like, if you're smart, you, you read Malcolm Gladwell. So now we know you're smart. I pretend to read, like, <laughs> half of his books. Maybe he is. 
He brings up Anne Rand as much as he can. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And, <laughs> now we know. And thank you for sharing with the clapping. <laughs> Stephen Hawking is another one of my many influences. <laughs> I haven't heard of her. Don't know her, Barbara. Um, and also, I mean, to go along uh, with the statistics, I don't have exact statistics. I do know that men are more likely to complete suicide yeah. and women are more likely to attempt it. Um, so and that's just, because men you tend to use more lethal means. So gunshots yeah. were messy. Um, yeah. And the women use less lethal means like overdosing. So there's room for intervention. If somebody tries to mm-hmm. shoot themselves, there's very little room for intervention. But if somebody takes a lot of pills and there's also yeah. room to pump their stomachs, get them to, this was something I heard actually again in grad school that, Middle-aged men are a lot more likely. Um, yes, and I think that is largely due to um, them serving in the army. Mm. Um, I have done some research. Of course, I'm no, I, I'm I don't I don't know all the facts. I don't know everything, but I did. Um, for my group counseling class, I had to do a presentation about I did I chose to do a presentation about suicide. And so um, I did a lot of research on that and like how to lead a group um, pertaining to helping those dealing from the loss of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I actually remember hearing about in grad school is the uh, heightened statistics, I think, in men. Um, specifically men who were middle-aged. And I think this kind of goes back to our therapy on tap or uh, men on tap episode where Mm. we we talked about, you know, lovely things like toxic masculinity. Um, But men are are taught, they're kind of conditioned to keep it all in, Mm -hmm. hold it all together. Um, Don't talk about feelings. That's gross. You know, you're a boy, you don't cry, you don't show emotion and, you know, you have those things that are just beaten into your brain. They're beaten into my brain just growing up. And um, I'm pretty emotional <laughs> um, as, a, as an adult. Um, but no, like to to just kind of transfer that to just the an alarmingly high statistic of middle-aged men killing themselves. Um, it's a thing. Yeah. And that brings me back to what I was saying. Um, (laughs) Wow. Um, So yes, I did some research. I did two presentations, one for my crisis and trauma class, which was about um, coping with the grief, uh, bereavement of suicide. So losing someone to suicide. Mm. Um, And so of course I researched and I learned some statistics. And then I also researched, I did a presentation for my group's class And that one was just leading a group um, on grief. Mm -hmm. So not as specific, but anywho, um, throughout that research, I did find that a large reason as to why men middle age commit suicide is because they served in the armed forces. Mm -hmm. So they'll go and they'll be deployed and then they'll come back and they have PTSD or PTS and just all these other, you know, it's just they... They don't have any any real like reintroduction to living back in in the states, um, and so of course they just have a really hard time coping, and they unfortunately commit suicide oftentimes. So. And I would even uh, working with men is one of my specialties and one of my passions in life, and, and I would even say for 
for men who don't serve, even culturally, we are like preparing men to serve. Mm. Or uh, as boys, we grow up with this idea that when I turn 18, I might have to kill someone. And, and that, so this is just like this weird, like background noise. It's, it's really easy to like dismiss that. And, and we all, it's been normal up until this point, but I, it, it's this strange thing that disconnects us from relationship, like the, the preparing to kill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I could probably do a whole episode on that, but I, I remember being, uh, you know, seven, eight and watching Looney Tunes and, Daffy Duck is in this hilarious, just hilarious episode from the from the forties, black and white, where where he's outrunning the little man from the draft board, and uh, you know at the end of the episode he gets caught and he he has to go serve. But like I'm watching this and I'm like I'm eight and I remember turning to my mom and I'm like, do I have to go to war? <laughs> and, and I'm I'm laughing now, but like that's it, that's a. So this is a weird thing that's just kind of hanging over us uh, uh, culturally. So um, tons of empathy for our veterans and, you know, just the lack of services that they experience uh, coming back. And and, and then also there is this, even for for men who don't end up, um, now we're a a fully volunteer uh, service, but that, that sense of needing to kill, I think, is impacting uh, men in a in a way that I uh, that the research really can't capture, and I'm having trouble articulating. Hopefully, we can, <laughs> we can feel it. But. Well, fully volunteer, but we still have to register for the draft when we register to vote. Right. Like that, I remember being 18 and finding that incredibly intimidating. Mm-hmm. But to Ellen's like, point, maybe I don't want my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> but to Ellen's point, I mean, uh, soldiers do get fully prepared and trained and Mm -hmm. every opportunity to get prepared to go to war. Mm -hmm. But there's no, I don't want to use the term programming, but there's no deprogramming or decompression when they come back. There's, there's very little in terms of reintegrating back into civilian life, Mm -hmm. even though there's a lot going into preparing Mm. you for the life of a soldier. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into veteran PTSD like a lot I think a lot of people assume that trauma is associated for one defining moment like right that car accident was traumatic watching that person die was traumatic 9-11 mm-hmm. was traumatic but trauma could also be an expanded period of time so you even if soldiers go over there not seeing action going to bed every night hearing gunfire and bombs going off mm-hmm. like That's being in that that static state of uh, high alert mm-hmm. I mean our systems are not meant to have that much cortisol Right. flowing through our bodies uh, 24-7. So then when we remove the chaos, uh, the world becomes chaos. And then people learn to seek comfort in the chaos. And then the absence of chaos is far more frightening than a chaotic life because chaos is predictable. You can always count on chaos being chaotic, but normalcy is scary. And mm-hmm. we see that with uh, intimate partner violence too. Mm-hmm. It's not so mm-hmm. much that, you know, I think we all have that one friend that goes from one toxic relationship to another and it's not like people say, you know what? I'm going to go find a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. It's that they, they haven't really been able to they're put the used, lid on that chapter. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. They're and used so to the toxicity. Healthy mm-hmm. relationships are far more frightening than chaotic ones yep. or abusive ones. Mm-hmm. So I, that definitely contributes to that trauma. Definitely. Mm. I'm like doing the whole like, yes, honey, you better work. With my <laughs> finger, finger wave. 
Yes, Patrick. Yeah. And I mentioned this uh, in, in the in the Men on Tap episode. If you haven't, I, I'm sure everyone listening has just listened to all of our stuff. But absolutely, um, just just <laughs> and it depends on what data you're looking at. You know, uh, di- different studies are kind of showing different different data, but um, there's a compelling argument that. Uh, the male suicide curve is bimodal, and and what that means is that our the the suicide rate for men peaks in middle age, like mm-hmm. uh, Ian and Ellen, you're you're both talking about, and then we kind of settle down, and then somewhere in uh, mid sixties it goes up again, and it does not come down, and what we see, uh, depending again on the on the data you look at. Uh, the curve for women peaks and it's much, uh, it's less steep and it's, uh, um, depending on where we're comparing in the curve, anywhere from four to 10 times less than men at its height. Uh, but, but women, uh, tend to, uh, that, that doesn't happen. It's a, it's a unimodal curve, uh, around, around the same time around middle age. But what I, I, one of my interpretations of that is that as we're, as men are exposed to what it, what how Western masculinity and how we treat men, we are more likely to complete suicide. Mm-hmm. So I get real curious and real compassionate about um, about what that's about. Uh, go check out Men on Tap if you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, more about and that, that brings up um, something. That I'm really passionate. So I know that we, you know, previously we talked about um, teenagers and adolescents, um, their rate of um, attempts and uh, completions have increased. Um, But I think also, yeah, older people get overlooked oftentimes. Um, And that is a very high population that will complete um and you're talking about middle age or geriatric population um yeah i'm talking more i would say so the statistics that i i think it was like the ages 60 and above is the highest population to complete and that may be an old statistic but um yeah it's it's very high for that population for that age range and sorry um, about the noise in the background of the dogs playing. <laughs> it's just hear that. It's just porn. Ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that that um, older age population unfortunately gets overlooked, and they aren't provided the appropriate services to help them. And um, at that point in their lives, unfortunately, I think that they also just get to a point where they've given up because they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, you know, younger people. Well, that's one of the yeah. bigger red flags is just like mm-hmm. that, that sense of like hopelessness and helplessness. Mm-hmm. And in older age, it's like, okay, even if I bounce back from this, where's my quality of life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a book, I forgot who the author was, the Brain and Behavior book. Have y'all read that? Where it talked, not Brain and Behavior, uh, Healthy Aging Brain, where it talks about- mm-hmm. It's by uh, Oliver Sacks, maybe? No. Okay. Yakety Sacks? Oliver Sacks. <laughs> The man who mistook his wife for a hat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we read that. <laughs> we, we read that in Brain and Behavior. Um, the aging brain. Google's not helping. But anyway, okay. so it talks about 
Um, so in infants, we have a term called failure to thrive. So if there's nothing that's there to provide warmth and comfort beyond the physiological needs of an infant, so no one to cradle it or hold it or rock it, an infant can just subtly pass away. Um, and we see that with geriatric populations too. If there's no sense of a will to live or a purpose to live, then a health is going to be rapidly in decline and people are going to pass away a lot faster. And I think that kind of influences the decision for suicide as well. Mm -hmm. um, studies show that people in the oh. geriatric population with grandchildren are going to survive much longer because they have a sense of purpose to carry on. Cozzolino, one of my healthy aging brain. He's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Clearly not enough to know that he, he wrote that, but <laughs> it's a fantastic book. If I'm you're just student, name dropping, but uh, no, he is very well. Uh, Louis, Ca or Luis Casalino. I think he's Italian. Mariah, check if he's Italian. And then if he's not edit that out, pay her enough for that. <laughs> Wait, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's very American, sir. From New York, New York, the city's so nice, they named it twice. Manhattan Mariah, will you do a 23andMe on uh, Luis Casolino <laughs> and just confirm his Italian heritage? And then um, just to save some face for me. Look at him. He's so happy in all of his pictures. <laughs> he, um, but I, I have read um, some of his... Am I going to sound like a hipster? I feel like I've read some of his earlier work. And um, he's just fantastic and, and very well respected and well known in the in the field. Obviously, I'm trying to uh, prove my my own worth by talking about Casalino. You're um, approved, Eden. I believe just in you. Find some time while Patrick uh, Pat, Patrick's back. Patrick, take it away. <laughs> Putting away his cantankerous puppies. I think it's funny that every time Ellen said middle age, she looked at Hayden. I just wanted to to point that out. I am the oldest one here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said you said older oh, no. people, and then you looked right at me, and I was like, oh, "Older people." I'm so sorry. I did people. not mean that in any sort of way. Yes, any... No, I didn't. Hayden, yes, you did. Because I have the longest beard. <laughs> it's just one long hair. I also want to say that the lack of um, lack of belonging or lack of community, I think, is also just mm -hmm. I, I I don't know what statistic backs me up here with that, but lack of community is is another thing that kind of contributes to um, society. Are you are you suicide society? Are you in my brain? Yes. I am. Well, I'm just thinking. You know, if I this this feels important to me for especially for the men I work with who are you know, my old age, thir 33, 33 and up, um, to, you know, make a, make building a community a priority. Uh, and I, I think part of what we're seeing is men are discouraged from making these connections and making these communities. And then, you know, you, you get older fifties and sixties and you kind of go, I, I have, no one. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Patrick, a lot of that stuff that you're talking about kicks in. Like, do I have the, the tools or the energy to connect? Uh, will anyone connect back with me? Mm -hmm. So uh, connection is just, um, I personally, I think is the, the biggest preventative measure of suicide. Mm -hmm. And, Absolutely. and so we, 
and we need to prioritize that, especially as men, because we are discouraged. Mm-hmm. We we are kind of pushed into the into the the performance and 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 career, and so we like you don't need support. Yeah, yeah. If you make a bunch of money, you're yeah, right. That's well, all at, you need. You right? can buy support. Right. Look at breakups, though. I mean, mm. we we see the research on breakups. It's much harder in cisgender heterosexual males than it is on cisgender heterosexual females because mm. females tend to have larger uh, natural supports and social circles yes. than men are. Mm-hmm. And even if men do have those social circles in place, they're not likely to access them for reasonable things or like mm-hmm. things that matter. So I think yeah. the men on tap episode, I, I mentioned an article that came out that was saying that men are going to have to relearn relationship dynamics because with COVID, we don't have football games to watch. We don't have bars to mm-hmm. go to. We don't have all of these things that have served as catalysts for connection, mm-hmm. um, which we might slip in a vulnerable conversation here and there. If you want to connect with with your friends, you have to actually like call them up or text them or do something, which is Face way time. more vulnerable and yep. scary than mm-hmm. having a bro out session at the bar. Yep. Um, so that's which yeah, I mean, let's be honest; they, those those are happening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just be honest. Yeah. This is Texas. Oh. COVID doesn't exist here. COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think like so, absolutely. Like men are generally very discouraged from sharing about their feelings and opening up and being vulnerable because you're always supposed to be seen as being strong. But I think that's also just our American culture in general as well, which is very sad um, because, yes, females do tend to have more support, um, a closer friend circle that, you know, they'll feel easier opening up to. Um, But I, I think it's... It's also yeah, it's 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 our culture, unfortunately, and it's it's just really sad. Very individualistic. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, you're like, always supposed to be seen as being successful, right. and you know, not being not being sad because being sad is a weakness, and it's not a weakness because everybody feels sad, and you mm-hmm. you should be vulnerable because whenever you feel, whenever you are vulnerable, then that's whenever you get help, and then then you're okay. Then you're better. You'll get better eventually. You're not just obviously going to snap out of it, but yeah. I just think of the, across the globe, I mean, America is notoriously individualistic. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just the co- more collectivistic cultures, uh, you know, the families that live with each other until they go off and get married, you know, there is, there's a lack of community, I think, in America in general, um, just because of how much emphasis is put on career and money and mm-hmm. go to school, get an education, do it all for yourself. It's not for your community. It's not for your mm. family. It's for you. Um, and that kind of, to me, I, I always have kind of seen that as it sets us up for such a perfectionistic, like toxic, <laughs> perfectionistic, rigid expectation of what we need to be. And nine times out of 10, we don't always get to that very high. I mean, he is, <laughs> I'm looking at Patrick over there in his PhD program, but um, no, I, I wanted to be a lawyer after I got my master's degree in counseling. And I, yeah, I what was, was that about? I, <laughs> Can oh we talk God. about that? That could be another He's, episode. Uh, I was curious about that a couple of years no, ago. No, I, I was, I, yeah, I, I wanted to be a lawyer and I remember like applying to law school and was really what? sure I was. Mm-hmm. Is this because you liked Murphy Brown that much? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I love Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> How did you? Know? I don't even know who Murphy Brown is. What? Yeah, she's uh, Candace uh, Bergen. What's she's her amazing. name? Sorry. Yeah, Candace Bergen. Um, no, but but we're I, so old. Oh my God. <laughs> Murphy Brown. I had this like very rigid perfectionistic ideal of what I should be, and I was gonna be you know be powerful and make money. And now I'm just like you know what? I got my master's. 
I'm good, you know, and not many people, you know, who apply to law school their first time around before they even have a master's degree get in. And so I'm just, I'm thinking of the, the amount of pressure that's put on all of us to succeed. And we, we do, we fall victim to it. Luckily, I was able to just peacefully move past that kind of whim. Um, but not many p- people who are set on getting into med school, getting into law school, getting into this very, you know, academically rich program that's going to send you on your way and you don't get in. It's like you're allowed to not get into those programs, you know, like you're you're allowed to be rejected and you're allowed to only stop at your master's. Um, so, yeah, I just want to. And that getting in and being successful does not insulate you from vulnerability right. and yeah. the, the risk of suicide. And, and mm-hmm. there, there are some pretty high paying, well-regarded professions that are uh, lawyers being among them. I, I, I was actually just reading a, an article uh, three or four months ago about the, the suicide rate in uh, um, amongst legal professionals, because, because it is, you're dealing with so much vicarious trauma, looking at criminal cases and, and just, all this stuff and then not, not having a whole lot of support. So um, it just kind of goes to show that this is uh, not, it doesn't uh, just suicide does not discriminate by uh, class nope. or profession. Well, psychology today actually ranked professions and I think uh, law or lawyer specifically was up there with like the least yes. happy uh, practicing professionals Most and highly educated are up there too. Uh, but that, Hayden brings up a really good point that suicide, where you look at the statistics and the Let's talk more the about research. that. Uh, so the research shows that suicide is actually not um, specific to one socioeconomic status, not specific to one gender, although we see the, the higher rates of completion with men, but we see it across the board and across cultures. Mm-hmm. And earlier you mentioned, you know, the U.S. being an individualistic society, but even collectivist society. So China had a, an intensely overwhelming issue with suicide and so much so that they started uh, uh, installing those suicide nets outside of like tech companies. If y'all remember that, that wasn't too long ago because there were such high rates of Holy suicide. Cow. I didn't know that. And I think a wow. lot of that was due to just like the, the, the pressure of performing adequately or overperforming. Mm. And it's a similar thing that we see in the United States, especially in men that men tend to tie their identity and their self-worth to what they do and mm-hmm. what they're yep. bringing and the productivity that they're they able perform. to put out. And so if we're not attached to something and we don't have uh, external value to ourselves, then we don't really have internal value. And that leads to that. So earlier I mentioning my father having completed suicide. Um, that was one of the things that kind of precipitated that was that he was running for some public office. He put all of his eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. He lost lost his job, wouldn't settle for anything else, and just bottom of the barrel decided that that was the time to attempt suicide. So, I mean, there, there's something beyond the cultural perspective because we see it cross-culturally all yeah. around the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, mental illness, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. Um, I, don't, I don't know. But mental illness doesn't discriminate at all. You know, it just... It can literally affect anybody. And, you know, I feel like every person on this planet has felt depressed or anxious at some point in their lives. Um, yeah, I, I come back to some, some human condition type stuff. And 
um, the, the way that we have, I think, in, in a lot of ways, uh, pathologized some pretty normal things like mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. grief. Uh, you mentioned uh, a, a, a your your specialty in grief i, th- mm-hmm. I think grief is one of those things that we treat as as pa- uh, pathological it's almost like in the in the medical world we um in in america we treat pregnancy as kind of a disease to be treated and uh oh i went off on a tangent there but um the uh, uh I'll, just so much of our normal human experience is uh approached as though it were pathological mm-hmm. yeah i think i don't know i'm i don't know right now i'm struggling between like saying something or not because do i'm it. be unfiltered <laughs> because i am still a student i haven't graduated or you know but um i don't have as much experience as y'all but um the do dsm it. The DSM, it just, I, edit it out. I feel like, you know, some, some therapists, of course, like, you know, you do your thing y'all, but like therapists, some can really just like overanalyze and pathologize, pathologize <laughs> and use the DSM so, so much, which like the DSM is a very helpful tool, I right? I use it every but... day as a paperweight. It keeps all of the papers <laughs> on my desk from blowing off. And, and I actually believe you hate it. <laughs> What's interesting is, so the school that I teach at is uh, a historically black college an HBCU and we had a significant portion of our syllabus for abnormal talking about just like the racial history of the DSM and how a lot of it just like kind of pathologized specific cultures and just how problematic. But going to school at Texas state and St. Ed's, like we were taught, this is the diagnostic Bible. Like this Mm -hmm. is truth and it's, it's very like empirically supported, but no, it's not like, I mean it is, but it's not the end all be all for uh, mental illness. And most countries have already shifted to ICD instead of, uh, only relying on DSM, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier of just not having that foundational educational experience of how to um, address suicide. Because I think mm-hmm. that there's therapists that don't have that experience that somebody comes in just vaguely says like, I don't know, I just there's some days where I just don't feel like living anymore, and they will fucking drop everything and call nine one one and try to have them committed like right then and there. F thirty two three. Yep, or whatever. It is. I think that major depression. Let me. Okay, I believe yeah. so. <laughs> let, me, let me Google it. Let me Google yeah. it. Uh, uh, but yeah, right. I feel like such an important part of this discussion is trying to help people realize that suicide is a very common thing. It's very common, and I didn't say this in the in, in my introduction, but I I lost my mom to suicide, mm-hmm. and so that is a big reason why I'm so passionate about mental health, why I'm in this field now, and um, just very passionate about um, spreading awareness because I think spreading awareness in how normal suicidal ideation is it can help um it can help people feel not as um out of the box not as odd and um you know i think i think just spreading awareness talking about it more 
openly having this being an acceptable conversation to have rather than just pushing it under the rug and people having to deal with it by themselves. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it can be very, very helpful. It, it can be a very useful, um, tool for those that are struggling. The F 22 is a fighter jet. <laughs> <laughs> F-32 is the diagnostic code for major... I told you I didn't use the... I, n- I made no claim that I used the DSM. <laughs> but F-32-3 is uh, major depressive disorder, severe with psychotic features. It's the insurance code. So I think part of the overreaction that we see from our colleagues might be just from our, our legal and ethics class, which was a whole semester long of a lawyer scaring the shit out of you that you can get sued at any time for anything. (laughs) And I think the liability of having a client that's actively suicidal or even passively suicidal is what moves a lot of therapists to overreact to the situation. What what would your ethics professor say about a podcast where you... (laughs) My legal ethics professor was like 80 years old. Is he still there? I don't even remember his name. He was like 80 years old. He was like Matlock and just way past his prime and just told us, he would ask us a bunch of critical thinking questions that had no right answer. Mm-hmm. Huh. Who? Nope. Don't think no? he's still that's, there. Okay, that's basically. <laughs> I think he's gone. That's basically what ethics is. There's. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? If you do. Where the. Matlock. I forget the, the name of the character, but he was like, that's a paddling. Get up oh, without yeah, raising your yeah. hand. That's a paddling. And it was basically like my legal and ethics professor is like, you do that, you're going to get sued. I thought you were making that Matlock reference. You get sued. That's how ours was, actually. It was like a fire brimstone whole semester of, of and he actually defended therapist as his career. And he would give us the worst of the worst stories. Mm. That, ironically, though, was the only time I ever... Rem- <laughs> that was the only time I ever remember, um, like suicide being like talked about like, mm. seriously mm, yeah. so, like, uh, in a classroom. I remember uh, um, he, he said don't take therapists as clients don't take lawyers as clients well my first four clients ever were th- three lawyers and a therapist who wanted to quit therapy <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> and they walked into a bar and then what happened <laughs> and their first and last names were <laughs> well that leads me to risk factors for suicide so the ones that like these i bad jokes was able to <laughs> yeah that's um risk factors for suicide so i have several different ones that i compiled from the webernet um and y'all can just back me up if y'all feel like yeah. there should be more i or... really think i've done a decent job about providing comedic relief without being while still being sensitive to the topic. And I would just like a little bit of credit for towing the line. But that's the thing about humor, especially gallows humor. It's it's never appropriate, but it helps us make sense of something that we struggle to make sense of. Yeah. If, if you have been offended by any of my jokes, you can write, uh, Patrick at two laughing chairs.com. All right. Risk factors for suicide. I give you credit for the fourth time. Go ahead. Go for it. Ellen rolls her eyes every time you talk, Hayden. Super (laughs) rude. I do not. (laughs) 
He lies. Ellen just messaged me and saying, can I replace Hayden on the podcast? And I feel like that's so aggressive while we're all a, at the table. Is this a coup? <laughs> that's a sore You're subject. <laughs> Ian, will you tell us about... <laughs> Only trying for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> Risk factors. Hayden, what are you drinking? I'm, <laughs> I'm done. Goodbye. Oh my my, my father. Weakest link. Goodbye. Stout. <laughs> Prior suicide attempt. Depression and other mental health disorders, substance abuse disorder, family history of a mental health or substance abuse disorder, family history of suicide, family violence, including physical or sexual abuse, having guns or other firearms in the home, being in prison or jail, being exposed to other suicidal behavior, medical illness, and being between the ages of 15 and 24, as well as over 60. I couldn't help but notice that talking about suicide wasn't one of those Correct. risk factors mm-hmm. because I feel like that was a very big uh, boogeyman in the 90s that yeah. oh we can't even talk about suicide because mm-hmm. that'll yeah. put the idea in somebody's head yeah exactly um, yeah just a general check in I mean as we do I'm so glad that you brought that up Patrick as we talk about suicide like let's go meta with this for a second how is everyone fe- feeling right now how is everyone kind of just what's on their mind what's coming forward and just a general check-in just so i know that we're all okay at this table yeah i know you're okay hayden (laughs) (laughs) hayden's good i'm coping yeah Yeah. Uh, and if i'm being real you know this is a a a tough topic and um i i feel i feel safe here and i i feel like this is a good got a good crew to be able to discuss this me too Appreciate the check-in. Of course, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, I, I guess at the risk of this being too triggering, um, Patrick has like an entire tray of crystals that are <laughs> like right next to me that I've just. There's been one crystal that I've been just rubbing incessantly this whole time <laughs> while making direct eye contact with me. It's super uncomfortable. Just- <laughs> Uh, I will say, I think in the Men on Tap episode, I mentioned like my discomfort with death. Like death makes me super uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that's why I don't. I always refer out for clients with grief and loss stuff. But suicide actually gets me pumped because I like to demystify the topic. Like I, mm-hmm. I used to get contracted out by the local LMHA, LMHA. Wow, I've had LMNOP. I've only had two <laughs> beers already. Slurring or LGBT. The local mental health authority here in Austin to teach a eight hour course called Mental Health First Aid. And it's uh, a fantastic course if you haven't taken it. It's it's created for people. I have don't, taken it. Have you really? Yeah. It's for people that don't have a background in mental health, but might run into people with mental health issues. So teachers, bus drivers, librarians, and such. Um, and I was always excited because we there was a whole sec- section on suicide where you can kind of normalize the conversation about suicide. Mm. And part of the curriculum even required you to partner up with somebody and directly ask, are you having thoughts of suicide? Because I think we'd like to fall back on this, the softball question is, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Yeah. Which yeah, it, yeah. that's a completely different conversation 100%. because hurting yourself is different than ending your life. So somebody that's actively suicidal might say, no, I'm not thinking of hurting myself. When in reality, the goal is I'm going to end my life. So I, I get really pumped to talk about this, even with my family history. And I've had a, a, other members of the family attempt as well. But um, I like this topic just because it should be talked about more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What about yeah. you, the, Ellen? The, um, oh, the, there goes Hayden. The, okay. Well, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the curriculum that I did involved a kind of a, a, a neighbor 
who was going through a, a mental health the video issue. With the yeah. Yes. And so I, I, I circle back to our, you know, our, our conversation in the intro about the terrible neighbors. <laughs> Your terrible neighbor might be going through a mental health crisis. And so having some mental health First aid. Ellen, take it away. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, top that, just, Ellen. <laughs> just really threw it at me. You didn't even just toss the ball. Okay. Uh, wait, how am I feeling? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, for me, talking about suicide, it's obviously no easy task. Um, suicide is not easy for anybody, no matter if you've had a close one to you commit or attempt, or if you yourself have had these um, really low points in your life. It's it's not an easy topic to talk about. But for me, I, I have personally done a lot of work um, in therapy myself. I've done like EMDR, um, and just a lot of grief work and journaling and things like that. So for me, I am able to um, talk about this but not get super emotional because I've, through EMDR, have been able to process it in an appropriate way. Um, if I were to talk about this, say, two years ago before doing EMDR and shortly after the passing of my mom, I would not be able to sit here and talk about this. So um, for those of you out there listening, if you have lost a loved one to suicide, I highly encourage you to seek help through therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a very, very helpful tool. And definitely talk to your therapist about EMDR. EMDR, for those unfamiliar, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it's the leading uh, trauma intervention right now for people with any type of past trauma. Um, it, it, the science behind it is the, what is it, the bilateral stimulation, mm-hmm. either through like tapping or mm-hmm. pulsers that are buzzing in your hand or even like light moving back and forth. It's a very yeah. fascinating intervention. It's very mindful too. Like just you're so aware of your body as you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are very, I will say, uh, I've done EMDR, um, few times and I, I was so exhausted. Like it was yeah. incredible and amazing, but my body was so tired. Yeah. Kind of like a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but, I remember after doing EMDR, like after my sessions, I would just be white yep. and not, I mean, it, it obviously like for me, EMDR, it depended on how, um, what I was willing to con open up to and contribute um but yeah oftentimes after a session I would be just like very tired and need time to myself Mm -hmm. I remember this one session sorry I don't mean to go off subject but um I remember this one session I had a very emotional EMDR um experience and I just ended up crying throughout you know, half the session and my therapist really encouraged me to go home and take the rest of the day off because I was supposed to go to work that later that mm. afternoon. Been there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, she was like, no, she's like, I really encourage you to talk to your employer and just ask if it's okay, you know, if you take the day off. She's like, I really think that's needed. I did. My employer was very understanding and Good. all worked out. I was able to take the rest of the day off and just honestly, what I did was lay in bed 
I watched Gilmore Girls and I ordered Chinese food and I cried and it was amazing. And that is exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. You don't know who Murphy Brown is, but you know Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Who is Murphy Brown? (laughs) Ten years difference, at least. Do you only know Gilmore Girls because of the reboot or did you know Gilmore Girls? No. Oh, I knew Gilmore Girls before. Do you know Dawson's Creek? I know of it. I've never watched it, though. Oh, my gosh. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. I guess American it was probably mid sitcom. Because it was before Boston Legal. We're going on a tangent. Anyways. <laughs> I was actually going to. 1998. Well, that's not too bad. Okay. All right. Might, might be a little newer than I was thinking. Hayden was your age in 1998, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> very cool very I was gonna cool. just include some resources that I've gathered just some general um, we, we de- definitely wanted to include so, just an so entire so Dawson's Creek is on Hulu oh lord <laughs> <laughs> resources for loved ones and therapists whoa 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 <laughs> this is very important did y'all know James Vanderbeek moved to Texas who yeah he's in the, he's in the area Dawson wait <laughs> Dawson Leary from Dawson's Creek. James Vanderbeek. I have not seen You this. might know him from Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Don't 13. Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. 23. Yeah. Huh. He plays himself. Yeah, he does. It's amazing. I will have so to these watch are this. the important resources that we have. Yeah, Dawson's um, Creek. Don't Trust the Bee. <laughs> Ian has some secondary resources for You're our listeners. Actively Free cameo in How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> actively suicidal. Please call 911. National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 800-273-8255. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Integral Care 24-7 Helpline is 512-472-4357. Again, that's 512-472-4357. So I actually used to work on the local crisis hotline, and I will say, if you are afraid that they're going to call the police immediately, they won't. A, a lot of times, these people, especially in the middle of the night, if you just need somebody to talk to, there's also warm lines. So if you feel mm. that you, what you're experiencing doesn't really merit a crisis, but you still need somebody to talk to, there are warm lines to call. But even if you don't know what what is considered a crisis and what's not, call anyway. They're not going to call the police unless they feel like it's completely necessary and it's at your best interest. But there's just people to talk to. And I guarantee you in the middle of the night, they're bored. They're not doing anything because I've been there. I've been there at two in the morning twiddling my thumbs because no one's calling. So it's definitely there are resources there available. They're free. Don't feel like you're being an imposition. I will give you a word of caution that always start with your local hotline first because the national hotline, sometimes it'll go by your zip code. So if it's or your is it not zip code? What am I thinking? Area Area code. code. Yeah. Um, so if you call the national number and it sees that 512, but you live outside of Austin, sometimes it... So one time when I was working, I had a caller and I was trying to coordinate emergency services, come to find out they were in like Tennessee because the national routed their number to us because they saw that 512 area code. So I'd always start with the, your local one if you do have a local number and then move on to the national if you don't. But don't ever hesitate to to call these resources. They're very helpful. And if you're hot for James Vanderbeek, Google Images <laughs> is a fabulous resource. But talk about like constant anxiety. I remember just my first month working on the hotline. Like every time that phone rings, you just get this pit in your stomach. Like you don't know when is going to yeah. be the call. But I will say in the year that I was on the hotline, I only had one caller that said, uh, I just took a bunch of pills. I don't want to die now. I don't know what to do. 
the rest of them were just people that were um, having passive thoughts or active thoughts, but the thoughts themselves wow. were disturbing enough to seek help. Mm. So it's amazing. Um, but even that one that called that said that had taken a bunch of pills from the moment they called to the moment the the ambulance and mental health officers arrived was four and a half minutes, and that was very wow. very reassuring. Oh there's some hope out there. Yeah. And that's one thing, like I, anybody out there that's listening and they are experiencing suicidal ideation or in the future may experience that, I really encourage you to just reach out for help. Talk to your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not a burden. You are important. You are loved. So Get help, reach out to those that are closest to you, and if you aren't able to reach out to those for any reason, you know, those hotlines are there, and they they, are, they really help people. Um, if you're able to get help through a therapist, I encourage you to do so. Well said. And, and I'd love, before we start to wrap up, to just mention, uh, I, I saw this great... Um, infographic back in September. September is obviously it's Oktoberfest, but it's, it's also suicide prevention month. And, uh, I, I was looking at this great infographic on the hierarchy of suicide prevention. So suicide crisis lines that we're talking about are actually kind of at the top of the pyramid, sort of the, 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 the last line of defense, but, but underneath it, I think what, uh, is a bunch of great stuff. Part of what I think we're doing here is, uh, is coming back to our mission about destigmatizing. So if you are listening, um, just normalizing and knowing that this is a, a normal human experience and that there, there are resources out there before you even start to even think about considering the possibility of getting to that point. And then uh, kind of moving up the pyramid are uh, social connections. So really paying attention to your social health and your relational health and uh, finding, finding supportive communities that don't shame you and don't, um, you know, anytime you open up, uh, you're around people who don't dismiss that. Um, there are communities out there that will uh, – not only tolerate but welcome all of all of all of your humanity, mm-hmm. and as we move up this uh, this hierarchy of suicide prevention, um, you know, b- before we get to the crisis line, there there's this uh, checking in with people. So especially now in in COVID, and uh, we're all kind of isolated. So checking in with uh, friends and family. Um, so I just I just bring this up to to show that I, I think a lot of us think that the the crisis line is like the go to and it absolutely hundred percent is but there there's so much kind of beneath the surface of this you know that that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you bring a good point about like not guilting or shaming, and I yeah. think that there's so the United States has very I don't know strong puritanical. <laughs> morals just so like ingrained in our our culture um but i mean i wouldn't respond to somebody that's actively suicidal or communicating suicidal thoughts of like oh my gosh but you have so much to live for how could you do that to your family or how could you do that to your loved ones that's so selfish or 
uh, this, you know, you're, you're going to go straight to hell because it's an unforgivable sin, which, spoiler alert, it's fucking not. <laughs> yeah. Even the Christian, the, the Christian Bible only recognizes one unforgivable sin, and it's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So suicide's not even an unforgivable sin, so go fuck yourself with that. But, I mean, <laughs> don't put the pressure on somebody to explain why they feel that way. Just create the space for them to communicate what they need to communicate and offer support, not guilt or shame at their experience because they're not choosing to be in this position. And I think right before we started recording, we were talking about like the terminology committing suicide. It just, Mm -hmm. it sounds like a crime that's very shame ridden and it's just, you're, you're not committing anything. You're, you're completing it or Mm -hmm. you're attempting it. Yeah, I and apologize. I did say committing a few times in this episode. Oh, it's not so. your fault. That's just <laughs> that's that's the language we're yeah. all kind of brought yeah. up with. We're gonna tell sure. your professors. They're <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> gonna fail me. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit would be a good name for a dive bar. <laughs> in New Orleans, I fucking go to a, a dive bar oh, in New Orleans. Yeah. Me too. Well, and one thing I did just want to um, share is that so you know a, a little bit ago I did sh- I did say if you're experiencing suicidal ideation um, or in the future, if you are, please reach out to your loved ones. Um, From my personal experience, I did not know that my mom was going Mm. through all of this. Mm. And then it was just a very big shock once it happened. Um, And afterwards I had to work through a lot of guilt and shame. So, Um, if you are dealing with these thoughts, um, please, please, please reach out to your loved ones because I promise you that they most likely do want to help and you are, again, not a burden. So you will likely be treated with love and kindness. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Brene Brown. She says, we are wired for struggle, but we are worthy of love and belonging Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so every one of us everyone listening struggles and everyone listening is worthy of love and belonging i don't know if she's listening to this but renee brown is like porn for therapists (laughs) (laughs) she really is everything she says is just so stimulating and amazing she's our guest next week yeah (laughs) i wish it's gonna be ellen and then Ellen and then Brene. No, Ellen and Brene. Ellen and Brene. Ellen and Brene. Yeah. We should find somebody named Brene. Actually, there's somebody in the Austin Mental Health Professionals Facebook page called Brene Brown. We should have them on and then just, you know, conveniently uh, mis mis market it. Just kidding. It's (laughs) Brene Brown. Hey, everyone, Brene Brown. Or let's take questions <laughs> before we wrap up for the day. So, caller one, you're on one. <laughs> Savannah Stanley, our very Austin's very own. What kind of therapist. beer are you drinking, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she was on our our. She's actually on two of our episodes uh, very recently. But she wrote in, uh, "Hi y'all. A few we- a few years ago, I did a training on treating self harm like a pro, quote unquote. Found out." that the common error that is made with some therapists is treating self-harm the same as suicidal ideation and that self-harm automatically means intent to complete suicide. I'm just wondering y'all's thoughts on that generally. Well, Savannah, you completed the training, so why are you asking us? (laughs) No, uh, um, I've worked with a lot of... Love you, Savannah. We we, we love you very... Savannah is the reason... This Savannah is the the one reason for the season. Watch your words. Um, Love you, Savannah. Uh, 
I've worked with uh, teenage adolescent girls and uh, I did a very similar training. I kind of started to view self-harm first and foremost as an attachment issue. Uh, I think if we look in the histories of folks who, who, who sort of turn to self-harm as a, as a coping or self-soothing behavior, we often find a, an attachment history where um, uh, love and pain are kind of inter- intertwined, which when you think about uh, self-harm, is, it's a soothing behavior that hurts. So it it, it kind of makes sense from from that perspective. I'm not saying that's the only only reason that people do that, but it is um, uh, certainly something to consider in that population. Um, at, at the end of the day, I view it as a as a, a self harm as a coping skill, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we are uh, uh, wanting to uh, complete suicide or end our lives. So they they are I, I agree they are kind of two separate issues. Um, of course the the concern is with a lot uh, that there is a risk of accidental death through a suicidal gesture or a uh, a self harm gesture. So um, we, we always want to pay attention to self harm and uh, but but kind of from a uh, they, they are definitely two different things. And to kind of echo what you just said, like ID. So those uh, listening who are not therapists um, or don't really know the therapist language. So there's a suicidal ideation versus suicidal intent. So we are, we as therapists are taught mandated uh, taught to uh, report intent, which is the plan. If you have a plan to commit suicide uh, to report it, um, we, you know, I think Texas does, uh, Texas has that law um, that we have to we we have to violate our our clients' confidentiality and report that, which can open a door for a whole can of worms there. But um, ideation and intent are not the same. So ideation is more like fantasizing about it, saying things like, um, you know, I wish I wasn't here anymore. You know, like writing the world letters. is yeah, writing mm-hmm. letters. Um, you know, the 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 world is just such an awful place. Why continue on? Which I mean, given this past year and our current climate, like, holy mm. shit, a lot of people are thinking that way. And and a lot of self, uh, another term for this is self-injurious behavior, or SIB. Yes. And a lot of people who um, engage in self-injurious behavior will will tell you, I I want to be here. I have mm-hmm. no desire to end my life. It, it, so, again, they are kind of two different things. Um, both yeah. are kind of higher on the end of concern and we, we want to be mindful and, and protective and uh, give it care and attention, but uh, they, they are not equivalent. For care sure. and attention? Care and attention. <laughs> but I think that goes back to what we were saying about pathologizing things. Like yeah, that's, that's a strong overreaction if you treat a non-suicidal self-injury mm-hmm. as if it were an actual suicide attempt. I mean, that's that's going to make them retreat inwards and not even seek help, seek help for the, whatever was motivating that non-suicidal self-injury. 
All right. Other question we have is uh, also an Austin staple, Brie. Um, Brie Craig. My former coworker. Yes. She's a rock star. She is. Um, she says, I know this is something I struggle with at times working with teens, a population where suicidal ideation and suicide is commonplace. Maybe y'all could speak on knowing when to disclose versus not to parents when clients share their, I'm so glad she asked me this, yeah, share their experience question. with both. Also touching on how to explain the difference between self-harm and suicidal ideation to parents. Whew. Okay. Ellen, Patrick. take it away. Oh, <laughs> boy. That's such a, gosh. I, I love the educational approach, like the explaining the difference between self-harm and suicidal ideation but at mm-hmm. the end of the day some parents are just not going to believe you they're going to believe whatever narrative my child is cutting believe. so he wants to kill himself yeah. and that that's not the case at um, all but i mean that's that's a conversation that you should have up front anyways when you work with teens i, I when i start with the teen i'm there with the family either the teen and both their parents or one of their parents or whoever and then we have the discussion of the limits of confidentiality which Ian, as you pointed out um Danger to self or to others is one of those limits to confidentiality here in Texas. So I talk about that, but I also talk about privacy. So, you know, teens don't necessarily have the right to privacy because they're minors. So their parents have the legal right to everything that we talk about in the session, as long as they're under the age of, I think, 17 here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also talk about respecting privacy. So there are some things that really should be kept uh safe in the therapy, or at least know that there's the space for that privacy in the therapy session. Otherwise, they're not going to fully disclose everything they're going through. Because if they think that as soon as they walk out the door, I'm going to hop on the phone and call their parents and tell them everything that we talked about verbatim, there's not a lot of space for like trust and rapport building because they just think I'm an extension of their parents. So I I haven't run into it yet. Um, It was a little different when I was working inpatient, but I haven't run into that yet in private practice where the parents have a problem with that privacy discussion or understanding that there are things that should be sacred to that, knowing that if it is a danger to self or to others, then I am automatically going to disclose legally, but also they need to know. Um, but I'm wondering, Ian, you see teens also. So mm-hmm. what, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I the last thing that I want to do is violate their safe space by like just running to their parents and just saying like your teen is, you know, acting this way. You should be concerned. Um, you know, I, I really I, I take it on, on a case by case basis. I mean, obviously, we do have to warn the parents if we think that our teen, our client is going to commit suicide. I mean, that's just that's a black and white. Sadly, that's part of this business. But if a teen is talking about suicide, I I I have a couple right now that actually are. And, um, you know, I validate it. I say, yeah, you know, a lot of people really feel that way. Um, and I, I usually ask, should I be worried? Mm. Um, should I, do, do you think you're, do you think I should be worried as soon as we get out of this session? And if they usually, if not all the time, they say, no, they, they, you're, no, you're fine. I just, you know, this is a really dark world to live in. And I'm just like, yeah. I know, bruh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's how I handle it. Um, I also just, I remember full disclosure. I actually was a cutter as a teenager and, um, I told my therapist that, and she literally said, um, okay, well, we're going to put you in, uh, an inpatient facility and I'm going to talk to your parents about it to see if they, um, to see if they approve. And it just, that my yeah, my my trust for and her. You still became a therapist. And I still became a therapist. <laughs> oh, Can we call her up right now? No, God. 
She can no. come on our <laughs> bad, our bad pair. Pair. She would remember <laughs> me. Sure I promise a, uh, you, she would remember me because I was I was a tear. So. But that that brings up. So we've talked about specifically kind of cutting as being non-suicidal self-injury. But there's other forms. There's hair pulling. There's skin yes. scratching. Mm-hmm. There's um, pushing yourself too. to the limit, like exercise, like to the point of exhaustion or banging your head on a wall, yeah. punching yourself. Yeah, and um. Eating disorders, too. I mean, starving yeah. yourself, binging yeah. and purging, that's yeah. a form. That's, that's my, my therapist actually did say that's like cutting, basically, when you do that. Burning. Mm-hmm. Yes, burning. Yep. Um, All righty. Fun stuff. <laughs> um, Final takeaways, you guys. I mean, I, I just, I'm so happy you came with us today, Ellen, and just Thank you, were Ellen. able to <laughs> be so brave and, and just just bring a, a voice of grace, I think, to this. A, a very, it is, it's a pretty triggering topic. So yeah. thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. I, I really was excited about this opportunity. Um, like I told Sarah and I said at the beginning of this episode, if I'm given an opportunity to raise awareness about suicide and help that conversation become more acceptable or I don't want to say more cool but <laughs> yeah, nice um, throwback joke. Foot, <laughs> mouth. foot is still in mouth um but now, now yeah. we can't edit that out or else it'll sound <laughs> ellen will sound oh weird. no i'm so sorry okay it just makes me think of like <laughs> oh, in spider-man where where peter parker goes to detention and it's captain america like sitting backwards in a chair it's like so you want to have a cool conversation about suicide <laughs> <laughs> yeah no <laughs> so you want to swim with the fishes <laughs> no, I, I I really appreciate you all letting me join you in this conversation. Um, letting me, I I felt very comfortable opening up. Um, and no, I any any time that I can help um, in this cause, I'm definitely all about. So I appreciate you all, and I appreciate for the work that you do, and I. Hope to one day become just as effective therapist as you are today. Whoa, I wouldn't uh, jump to that. that <laughs> we're handsome after, therapists. After, I don't know about effective. After today, do you still want to be a therapist? <laughs> during all the, Absolutely. Yeah, our, little, our little realities we're, we're, we're trapped in. Um, I um, didn't think this was actually going to be as dark of an episode. I, I mean, I obviously. S- stout beer for this episode. Oh, good. Ian, so okay. Coping. Like we, we knew it was going to be dark. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, like, it's, again, a hetero joke that I'm not fully understanding right now. But Think of it um, like a dark uh, chocolatini. Yeah. So final takeaway for me. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I Actually, I feel empowered. I don't know if, if that's the right word. I mean, yeah, as we were recording, like there were some dark, dark memories of, you know, just past my past history with suicide just kind of resurfacing. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I, if anything, this kind of opens the door for me in a lot of ways. I feel like, I mean, just to be here with y'all and for us to just kind of talk so openly about such an unnecessarily taboo topic um, makes me feel safer. And the next time I do encounter um, a client, with with suicidal ideation i'll be a little bit more comfortable i mean it's it's a very touchy thing to work with that comes and it inevitably comes up Mm -hmm. in session but um yeah it's just it's nice to be a therapist and feel a little bit more comfortable working with such a um you know such a heavy topic so all right i'm just uh, aware of how um 
I, I think just about everyone you meet has been affected by suicide in some way. And so I'm, I'm sitting here uh, with uh, Patrick and Ellen, with both of you, and, and you, you've been affected in a very intimate way. And, uh, and and I think about my own history, and and I've been I I've been affected as well, and um, and then I wonder about the people who because suicide is such, so taboo, like the people who have been affected and don't even know they've been affected. So my my heart just opens through this conversation for uh, everyone who has been touched by this topic, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and I. I I come back to that that pyramid I tried to walk through uh, you know after three or four stouts but uh the when we're raising awareness and uh destigmatizing talking about it you know we're we're at that bottom layer of the pyramid like that is step 1 and uh you know I I, I, I we provided all the numbers uh hopefully that's up to, towards the top of the pyramid but but please uh if you're listening like let's start to doesn't have to happen overnight, but let's start to normalize this conversation and check in on your people, um, especially your uh, uh, more vulnerable uh, loner type people. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going to do the the equivalent of a uh, in the therapy world we call call it kind of the doorknob uh, comment, where like the client is walking out the door and they, they kind of drop a bomb as they're leaving. But, um, doorknob confession. Uh, yeah. Doorknob confession. I, I am thinking of a, a, a very, um, very close acquaintance. It's kind of an oxymoron, but it makes sense in my head as a, as an extrovert, <laughs> uh, an acquaintance. I, I knew, um, we weren't close friends, but he, uh, every time I saw him, he was drinking the, Best liquor. He had two or three beautiful women hanging off of him. He had the nicest watches. And I was just absolutely shocked a couple of years ago to learn that he uh, completed suicide um, here uh, in in his uh, downtown uh, loft. Uh, and and so uh, just to just to I, I use him as kind of a cautionary tale of. Like we can be looking like we have everything together on the outside, and, and so just please, uh, please check on your people and be kind. And be kind. Just be mm-hmm. kind to everyone. Yeah, and take care what of yourself. Cultivate kindness. That's currently my Instagram like bio nice. thing. Cultivate well, kindness. How, how do we how do we follow you on Instagram? Uh, oh yes, if you want to follow <laughs> oh me on Instagram, uh, more followers. Uh, so yeah, first name Ellen, like Ellen DeGeneres, E L O E N, and then it's like an underscore, and then my last name Mystead, M E Y S T E D T. I'm very basic. S T D T. I, I was trying to help you out, and I think I screwed it up more. Wait, Mystead. Mystead, yeah. Cool. Yeah, All yeah. seven of our listeners are going to follow <laughs> you. Woo, woo. Yeah. Go viral. I love oh. it. <laughs> and then my Twitter is at James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> I like, take, takeaways. 
I think we've all mentioned it multiple times, but normalizing the conversation. But one thing that we haven't really touched on is that suicidal ideation in itself is not a pathology. It's a symptom of a, of a bigger underlying issue. So the more that we can normalize the conversation and the more people feel comfortable about opening up about what they're experiencing, mm-hmm. the more of a chance that we'll get to actually what's driving that. I mean, thinking of it, of it as an iceberg, and we oftentimes use the iceberg uh, visual for trauma, but I mean, if we're looking at suicidal ideation as just the tip of the iceberg, everything that's underneath the water that you mm-hmm. don't see is really what's driving that those yeah. suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so normalizing the conversation and creating space, if you're a therapist, um, a non-judgmental environment for people to open up and talk without fear of being committed to a hospital or an overreaction, just having the, the space for that vulnerability. I just want to add this kind of... Um, uh, how do I say it? This uh, social component, this power component, uh, especially if you are in a marginalized community, um, there there is just me. Sorry. Yes, no. <laughs> Take it me away, being Ian. A female. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. <laughs> this is turning to a competition. Me ever being Mexican, guys. <laughs> I win. I mean, uh, okay, well, uh, apparently I'm the only one here who's not. Yeah, not way to go, white male. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. Air- Middle-aged, Aryan. according to Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you, thank you for listening to get in touch with any of us, whether you want to have conversations about therapy or whether you are in Texas and want to become our clients, please see the show notes where you can find the best ways to reach us. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. We will be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta.